Well, we're back to a three-show docket. streamers welcome into another edition of streamer season this is the exclusive streaming platform tv and movie podcast on the underground sports philadelphia podcast network it's kb coming at you from underground studios and we've got quite the episode this week uh three different co-hosts for your boy uh <laughs> shout out to dylan i know he's he's uh trying to get better the uh the old the old elvis got him again and uh He'll be back hopefully next week, but uh, stepping in for our Last of Us breakdown is uh, my good friend and avid listener of the show, my man Russ. How's it going? How is everybody? Welcome to the program. Uh, before we get into the Last of Us, Russ, we got, just got to run down the business, the business side of things for people. Make sure you guys follow us on the social media platforms uh at streamer szn twitter instagram you can follow me on twitter at kbizzle e11 or 311 instagram is e11 uh make sure you guys subscribe to the podcast feed on apple Podcasts, spotify wherever you get your podcasts we're there leave a five-star review with your show and movie recommendations you guys know that's dylan's line you leave the recommendation there, it gets added to the list automatically. So go leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. And subscribe to the Underground Sports Philadelphia YouTube channel. That's where you get full video episodes of Streamer Season and all of the podcasts on our network. You get clips, you get live streams, all the original content video-wise. It's on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at Underground Sports Philadelphia. We hit 400 subscribers as of this recording. So now it's the road to 500 and beyond. So go subscribe, smash that like button, ring the bell icon, and leave a comment with your show and movie recommendations and your thoughts on anything we talk about on this episode. And of course, guys, go get your merch from our epic merch partners, PHI Apparel Company. There's no doubt in our minds when you guys are rocking your streamer season merch. That's right, streamer season merch. Go get it. Uh, you wear it to the movie theater when you're watching your favorite shows and movies from home. You're going to look in tip-top shape. Uh, you guys can go to phiapparel.co and use code UNDERGROUND, and you get 10% off any and all orders, and that's how they know you're coming from us. So use that code UNDERGROUND at checkout at phiapparel.co to get 10% off any and all orders. Russ, it's The Last of Us, Episode 7. Fun part about this, you've played the video games, so that helps in that context. You know the game yeah. well. Um, as does Dylan, so now we have another resident uh, Last of Us video game player to add to the, the conversation. But episode 7, titled Left Behind, 
uh, for anybody who doesn't know, Russ and I work our day job together. Uh, and when I yeah. asked Russ if he if he had watched this, I said, "Spoiler, no context." It, this episode gives season three finale of Stranger Things vibes uh, because it's big mall energy. Um, <laughs> big <laughs> mall like, energy. Big like that mall is massive. Even right. with it being like pillaged and destroyed, that's a huge mall. Yeah, it was gigantic. It had a whole Ferris um, carousel yeah, inside. Whole like, carousel, like pinball machines and everything. I was like, this yeah. was when malls were in their heyday. Yeah, yeah. It almost felt like an eighties mall when they yes. walked in. Yeah, I was like, man, uh, take me back, please. Um, but overall, before we get into the uh, the spoiler portion of the episode, what were your thoughts uh, on episode seven? I enjoyed it. Um, I liked how it was very close to the game. They just changed, you know, little stuff here and there just to make it fit into the story. But I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, because this is like I said, this is the DLC in the game. So it was cool that they put it in as a flashback in the show. Now, are you like from the video game aspect? Is it kind of surprising that they've already jumped that far into like incorporating stuff from the second game, even though this is season one and DLC and stuff like that, because we've kind of touched on it from earlier episodes where like there it's, you got to play it up for TV as well. And I think yeah. when you make those necessary tweaks to make it play better for television, it works. It, it definitely works. Um, like, like Joel in the game, Joel falls out a window onto rebar. That's how he gets stabbed. Um, this made more sense. It was way more mm. believable because, like, if a real man gets thrown out of a window, it's gonna and rebar pierces him. Like, there's no shot. She's she's gonna save him with no medical equipment, you know? Right. But in this, like, stabbed in the gut, it's still rough. But you know, you get get sewed up, you should be okay. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is everybody's spoiler warning. If you haven't watched episode seven of The Last of Us yet, uh, pause this episode of the pod. <laughs> Go go sit your fannies down on your couch and and watch episode set and then come back and and do the breakdown with us. Uh, but yeah. here it is, three, two, one. Spoiler warning, and here we go. Um, so we have Ellie tending to Joel uh, with his wound that we saw in the last episode, uh, and Joel demands Ellie abandon him to die. Just just leave me here to die. It, that gave like. The, uh, the scene in Lilo and Stitch where she's like, just leave me here to die and yeah. just turns the record player up. That's the same energy that was good. Yeah, and then like single man tear, one single man tear just down the side. Like, <laughs> just leave me. Uh, <laughs> and as she begins to walk away, Ellie stops and recalls the events that led up to her becoming infected. Several months earlier in Boston, Ellie is an orphan student at a military boarding school run by the Federal Disaster Response Agency, a.k.a. FEDRA. Uh, and after Ellie gets into a fight, Captain Kwong, played by Terry Chen, encourages her to follow the rules to eventually become a FEDRA leader. And later that night, Ellie's best friend, Riley Abel, Storm Reed, who we were talking pre-show, Russ, we were blown yeah. away. She's a rock star. Killed we it. need her in more things. Agreed. Yep. Absolutely killed it. She was awesome. Um, she sneaks into her room and Ellie's angry, angry with Riley for joining the Fireflies, a rebel group opposing Fedra and leaving her alone at the school for weeks. Riley takes Ellie into an abandoned mall, uh, and Ellie is overjoyed to experience an escalator, 
aka uh moving <laughs> stairs electric stairs, electric yeah, stairs. Yeah, yeah. that was yeah, great yeah. uh a carousel a photo booth and an arcade and also seeing uh no free ads victoria's secret uh as well that was a very <laughs> funny scene that was great yeah uh i do have one thing to say about kwong uh i really liked what he said to her um he was like if fedra goes he's like i understand what people think of us out there but like if we go away everyone's gonna starve or kill each other so mm -hmm. like we might not be like the best but we're definitely like the devil you know like you don't know what's yeah. gonna happen when firefly takes up when fireflies take over i thought that was pretty cool and it showed that he like knows what's going on yeah and uh that was kind of like you got a peek into somebody sort of kind of caring about ellie yeah in her past yeah. which was also like one of those things where it's like does she have any connection to anybody um so that was pretty interesting to kind of get that flashback and see that like there were you know people who genuinely like wanted the best for her in the circumstances that they were in yeah absolutely was look like trying to make sure that she didn't just end up in sewage detail you know what i mean yeah <laughs> <laughs> shoveling people shit yeah. uh <laughs> So then after uh, all the escapades in the mall, uh, Ellie finds Riley's bed and homemade bombs, uh, and she confronts Riley about the Firefly's violent philosophies, and Riley reveals the Fireflies are moving her to the Atlanta quarantine zone, and she brought Ellie to the mall to say goodbye. And Ellie initially storms out of the mall, but Riley, uh, returns to Riley, and the two dance together in Halloween costumes, more Stranger Things vibes. Um and then Ellie desperately pleads with Riley not to leave. Riley agrees, and then they give a big old smooch right in the mall. Yep, yep, right in the mall. And uh, what does Ellie say? Like, sorry. And she's like, for what? Like, why? what are you sorry about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, why are you sorry? She just took you on a dope date to the mall that right. no one else can do. Uh, now, is this part uh, – you said most of this was, like, from the DLC. Was, like, that whole, like, sequence in the DLC as well? I don't think the entire sequence they changed like little like phrases here and there or like the way the conversations went but for the most part they kept it they kept the plot true to the because a lot of people like compared it compared this episode in a way and likened it to episode three where they yeah. changed some things but it still was like same plot premise for the most part um with bill and everything that happened in episode three yeah, the thing with three was like they like that was way more backstory than you got on him in the right. game. Like in the game, it was like quick, and then you found stuff out later. Um, in this, you actually played as Ellie, so like this was kind of it had a very similar vibe to it as the DLC. I I enjoyed it immensely. I thought it was great. So then, an infected, drawn to the noise, attacks uh, both Ellie and Riley, and Ellie eventually kills it uh, with a nice little stab to the dome. That shit was like, cool. Okay, that was that was cool. That was badass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's horrified to realize both she and Riley have been bitten. Which, like, I'm like trying to think back. Like, I don't remember seeing the actual bite happen in the sequence of them fighting. Me either. I because I, I knew that they both were gonna get bit, but I didn't see it. You're right. Like, I didn't see it during the fight at all. It could have only happened like when she got pushed up against the the um shelving when she mm -hmm. like pulled it off of ellie that's probably when she got bit and yeah. then i guess ellie when she was trying to like hold it off that's when she got bit and i guess that's for like tv dramatics to like not show it right away but i was like when did they get bit <laughs> i was like Dude, 
And then did you notice like it it welled with blood when she looked at it? Like there yeah. was no blood, and then she looks at it, and it's just like, wow! <laughs> it's like somebody like squeezed one of those scream masks. And yeah, all yeah, blood rushes down the face. I was like, when did this happen? I was like, you can't, you got to be kidding me! Yeah, I also um, thought it was cool their reactions to being bit, how yes. they were both like vastly different. I I enjoyed that as well. Um, which we'll get into uh, for everybody who watches on HBO Max um, when they do the after show. I, I love the details that they like bring up in that too, and it just adds more context to what you just watched. Um, so then Riley suggests that they let themselves turn together, arguing that no matter how little time together they have left, it is worth fighting for. And in the present, Ellie recalls Riley's words. She finds a needle and thread and starts to sew Joel's wound. Um, very like up and down emotional roller coaster type of yeah. episode. You get a lot of emotion in this. You get a lot of just like raw emotion as well. Um, and then like you had mentioned, like the way that they both reacted to getting it, like Ellie goes on a fucking like bam, bam blitzkrieg with yeah, a baseball yeah, yeah. bat smashes everything. And my, my dumb ass, like watching that happen. It's like Ellie, that stuff doesn't get made anymore. You're ruining like <laughs> everything it's true. like is such valuable, like potential yeah. commodities. And then Riley's just sitting in silence and like explains it. Like she's experienced loss where like Ellie hasn't. So you're seeing like the two total opposite ends of the spectrum of, you know, experiencing like impending doom. And it's yeah. like, Hey, let's just make the most of it. Or like, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. <laughs> she went ham on those uh on those display cases at least she wasn't in the arcade breaking stuff oh, then that I, then i, I would agree with you. that would have broken <laughs> yeah. my heart yeah, yeah yeah at least it was just like glass like display casing but i was like man destroy the halloween store leave the arcade we're right yeah um, my thing was so you were thinking that that like oh th we can't make this stuff my thing was you just had an infected run in here and you're just going to start shattering glass. Like, I Not get you a bit, but, like, you don't want to get completely just devoured, you know? Yeah. And I was like, you're making all this noise now. It's like, how many more are yeah. in this place that, like, Riley thought it was it was all clear? Like, clearly not. I mean, they're yeah. living everywhere. The whole Firefly company thought it was cleared because that was her post. They just, mm -hmm. like, left her there. They're like, oh, stay with this. Talk about a shitstorm. Yeah. <laughs> uh but also, we talked about this, I think, either the first or second episode. I want to get your take because you've seen all three of these shows. And we put a poll out on Twitter about this a while ago. What's the creepiest humanoid uh, like villain in a TV show in recent memory? The ones we included were the Clickers and like the Infected, um, the Demogorgon, and then the Moths from uh, Peacemaker. Oh, that was a that was a a curveball there. Um, I am gonna go Demi Gorgon. Harder to kill than the infected. True. Faster than the infected. And the the um the butterflies. Are, That's what it was. The butterflies. They're, they're sentient. So like yeah, they they have a plan. They can be reasoned with. Whereas a Demi Gorgon is just gonna keep coming until you're. Yeah, Bunch. the uh, the clickers are just so fucking gross. Yeah, hundred percent. But 
still like you got a gun you got fire you got an axe you're a a little better off than if you have those things against a demi gorgon that's my thought anyway yeah i mean it is pretty funny that you can kind of also like compare those three and line them up with ed ed and eddie like the demigorgon (laughs) is eddie (laughs) yeah uh the butterflies are double d and then the clickers are just ed i think i brought ed ed and eddie up at work today too (laughs) yeah you did yeah But yeah, I think as of like the last like year or so, those are the three like grossest and like creepiest like humanoid uh beings that we've seen on TV. 100%. Yeah. On TV most certainly. Yeah. And then like movie-wise, like Zombie Doctor Strange was pretty gross. And the yeah. crazy part is the the prosthetic artist is the same person for Zombie Strange, the Clickers, the Demogorgons. Oh um, shit. I didn't know and that. And I think he also worked on um, the king from House of the Dragon when he got, like, progressively older and everything. And, like, gangrenous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also worked on him, which is like, geez, this this prosthetic artist is having, like, Killing a it. career, like, renaissance right now. Yeah. He's going to be – they're going to look at his um, portfolio in the future and just be like, oh, yeah, we're hiring you. That's a Hall of Fame <laughs> career already. Yeah. That's in, like, the like, last, like, what, calendar year pretty much? Essentially, yeah. That's if you want to put it into production, two years, but, like, still. It's absurd. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the I, I love the after show as well. We were bringing Me that too. up, too. Like, they, they just add so much more underlying value and I think it's also like very cool for the people like myself who have never played the video game to kind of just get the the brain fodder from you know everybody working on the show and behind the scenes type of stuff and what goes into the decision making that they have. Um, they just they just add so much. So like if you're not watching on HBO Max with the after show, do yourself a favor and like watch that. You know, go back, watch all of them, and then from here on out, these last two episodes watch that after the show because it adds so much more value to the episode yeah no i completely agree um any hbo show watch the after like it's just necessary westworld if you watch that watch the afters they're great yeah house of the dragon did it game of thrones i'm sure did it um (laughs) so definitely recommend watching those um the the ratings on this show just continue to blow my mind um on linear television the first night of episode seven, it had 1.083 million viewers. That was night zero. That was the night it came out. And that's on linear television. That's on like cable. Just like nine, just nine o'clock Sunday. Wow. 1.083 million viewers on the first night with a 0.37 rating share. And uh, according to several viewers, um, this is pretty interesting. Ellie and Riley's kiss was censored on OSN plus in the M E N A region, which is middle East and North Africa. No, not surprised that, there. But, yeah. I was just going to say that completely makes sense, but, um, it is what it is, but yeah, 1.083 million viewers on linear That's TV. Crazy. That's nuts. Um, and who knows, you know, what the HBO Max numbers were for people watching on streaming and how much yeah, that adds into it. Like, that's just crazy. But hold on. If they censored, if they censored that in this episode, 
did they just not play episode three? Like, <laughs> episode three episode just three did not air. It just didn't air. There is no such thing. It okay. stopped as soon as they found Homeboy in the ditch. <laughs> yeah, it just it that just was the episode, the and then it goes it. right to the after show. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um. So the critical response on this episode, Rotten Tomatoes has an approval rating uh, of 96% based on 24 wow. reviews with an average rating of 8.5 out of 10. The website's critical consensus called it a, quote, heartbreaking duet between Bella Ramsey and Storm Reid. Several critics praised the visuals of the mall and den geeks Bernard Boo enjoyed the blend of artificially uh, artificiality and romance and Push Square's Aaron Bain applauded its similarities to the game and then total films bradley russell found the opening sequence ethereal mirroring joel's fading consciousness and then the av clubs david coat lauded the first sequence as the best close combat scene in the series to date and this episode's use of music was very well received um yeah i i agree with most of that yeah i thought uh, the I music this. was fantastic yeah 100 percent. definitely put you in it when um you know, when they're playing in the arcade or like when she throws the music on and just starts dancing, that was good. Also the the quick cut to, you know, she's standing at the door and then she's running listening to music. That was good. Yeah. Um, it was very um when she's running in the flashback in the gym and everything and the music yeah. playing that gets knocked off of her. Again, you know, not to make too many Stranger Things comparisons, but they did the same thing with Max, like I, I love that it's very like gimmicky, but it's a good gimmick and I like that. Like use the yeah. music and your your props to your advantage and I think they did a, a very good job with that. Um so I, I love that kind of shit. Like yeah. when that happens, I, I'm like, oh yes. Yeah. I found this episode very immersive. I did. I liked it. Um what was I gonna say? I liked a lot of the quotes in this too. Like in the beginning, Kwong, what he said to her, like, hey, you know, they're either going to starve or kill each other. And then mm -hmm. what Riley says to Ellie at the end, like we can either, we have a couple options. Like, why don't we just see what happens make it yeah. last while it can, you know, it's great. And she was like, nah, I hate that option. It's just jump yeah, to the yeah. very next one. That was, oh, great. dude, that, sh that was dark. Yeah. Option one. Nah, I don't like option one. Yeah. yeah. That was very, very good. Um, so Russ, as we do on this show, we grade each episode scale of one to 10, uh, you can give a rookie score, which is just a flat number, or give an experienced uh, score with a, with a decimal in there just to play the numbies there. Uh, I recorded our Poker Face segment with Christian earlier in the week. He gave this episode of The Last of Us a 9 out of 10, so a bit of a rookie score, but he's been crushing with the 9s pretty much. He, he made a prediction before this show started preseason for the show that this show could go down as one of the best TV shows of all time. And, uh, it's living up to that hype. Um, yeah. So Russ, your score for the last of us episode seven. I'm going to give it a 7.8 because to me, five was like an 8.5 to a nine. You know what I mean? So so I'm going to judge this one. It's like seven and a half. I um I like this one. Like I said, I think the, the use of music was great. I thought the just like production quality of this episode was awesome. Um, and just good, like more gut wrenching plot, you know, to oh my God. continue on with everything is just so good. 
the show is just like recorded depression. That's what yeah. it feels like. Yeah, because at the end of every episode, your heart just is shattered. It's just over. Um, so I think I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna stick with our trend too. I'm gonna give it a nine point one. Um, which the three scores tallied up. That's a 25.9. You divide that by three for the people with quick math at home. That adds up to an 8.6 and a whole bunch of threes, which we'll put an asterisk next to it. Once we get Dylan's score, we'll get a full-blown aggregate there, but still to be in the eight sixes at this point in the season is crazy, Um, and it's certainly going down as a a Hall of Fame show. Yeah, well, because with, you know, HBO's, HBO's formula, the episode before the season finale is usually a lull because it's like the calm before the storm. Mm-hmm. Or opposite, it's like really intense and then lull at the end, lull before. So we'll see. We'll see what's we'll going see on. Penultimate episode next week. Um, stick around. We are going to dive headfirst into the show that started this format of streamer season up next uh the mandalorian season three is here and we're gonna be joined by another co-host for this week so stick stick around stay, stay here we're not going anywhere uh but we'll be right back and we're back and we're back to our roots the show that started this format of streamer season is back it feels like it's been ages since we've traveled back to uh the world of the mandalorian season three is here we're ready to break down episode one and joining me is now recurring guest joined us earlier or i should say later in 2022 for uh house of the dragon he's a big mando fan and as we mentioned uh at the top of the show dylan dealing with that elvis uh, type of situation so hopefully he'll be back next week but joining us for mando episode one the one and only keith williams glad to be back I'm ready He's to back. fill in for ready to fill in for dylan uh i mean hopefully he doesn't end it out like elvis and I can... <laughs> hopefully there's no <laughs> peanut butter and banana sandwiches involved <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh the mandalorian is back it it truly feels like it's been forever since we've had yeah true mandalorian yeah. not the book of boba mando florian yeah. fett um but it is finally back and obviously uh it was kind of put on ice a little bit because this is the year of pedro pascal like he's got the last of us and now he's got the mandalorian all at once uh so he is in yeah. his golden age right now um but that's why it took a little bit longer for this season to come out you know since the last season we got plus we got a little little sprinkle teaser there with the book of boba fett uh yes, we did. early 2022 so we're back full-fledged with the mandalorian uh episode one chapter 17 the apostate um keith obviously before we get into the the spoiler section of the episode uh what were your overall thoughts on uh season three episode one I was feeling it. Um, I thought it was very well written. Uh, I thought they gave a good. Um, I think it helped out a lot of people who didn't watch uh, Book of Boba Fett or like leading up. I felt like it did help out a lot as far as like giving little fillers in. Uh, also, I think it set up a lot of stuff for the future too. Like, mm-hmm. um, like I genuinely watched and like, hmm, what's Homegirl doing at the end? Like, is she secretly plotting? Like, why did you give them the coordinates? But then at the end, say bye like you know like 
what's going on there? Like, are you really with it still? Or are you actually an enemy now? Um, I think there was a lot that, a lot that uh, good things to come. That's really what I came yeah. with. It. I, I felt like it gave you a lot, like the, the previewed runtime was 37 minutes, but you know how Disney Plus always kind of dupes you a little bit because they include how long the credits run. So it's kind of like mm -hmm. a 34, 35 minute episode. Um, but they packed a lot of information into it. And like you said, like for the people that didn't watch the Book of Ovet, which we 100% you know you should go watch it because there's a lot to take away from some of the episodes yeah. in there and if you didn't listen to our book of boba fett episodes go listen to those as well um but it sets up a lot of what goes on in this episode but like you know we were talking pre-show like there's stuff that they put in there it's like i've heard this conversation before and it's yeah. because it was in the book of boba fett um yeah but a lot of i think just like groundwork was set in this episode yeah. alone for what we're going to get throughout the entire season, which is, is really nice for an episode yeah. one to kind of be like, here's where things are going to kind of go. And you don't know what some of the, you know, corkscrews and stuff yeah. along the way will yeah. be, but here's a basis of what's going to happen. Um, also was not expecting uh homeboy to come back with a vengeance the way that he did uh, towards the yeah. end of the episode. That yes. was that was a wild talk about wild corkscrew <laughs> twist and turn. We'll yeah. get into that in yeah. just a minute. Uh, but this segment of streamer season is brought to you by our good friends over at Kenwood Beer. It's the official beer of Underground Sports Philadelphia, and it's Dylan's beverage of choice. So shout out to the boy uh, when he is watching his favorite shows and movies. You guys can go to KenwoodBeer.com and use that all new and improved Kenny tracker to see who's got Kenwood Beer on tap in the Philadelphia area. You can get it in your local liquor store if you're in the Philly area. And if you live in eastern Pennsylvania, you can also get it at your local home goods. Uh, so go to KenwoodBeer.com. Use that Kenny tracker. You got to be 21 or older to do so. And of course, please drink responsibly. This is everybody's spoiler warning. If you have not watched The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 1, Chapter 17, however you want to break it down, this is your spoiler warning. Three, two, one, here we go. Um, so on an unknown planet, the armorer is making a blue Mandalorian helmet, and I... I don't know if you noticed it when you were watching too. The way that that like liquid just kind of glowed and everything, it was very like religious, spiritual, yeah. like whole Sacri situation. Yeah, yeah, sacred. Yeah, <laughs> and like the way that they like framed everything camera wise and shot it, it's like you don't know exactly where they're at, and it's like where this feels at. very culty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's one hundred percent, man. That's the vibe I came away with that whole that whole scene. I'm like, man, this really feels like we're in somebody's culty church, and uh, yeah, especially <laughs> with the Mythosar skull being like positioned the way it was. I was like, yeah, yeah, that kind of looks like a crucifix. <laughs> what uh, are we doing? <laughs> what's going on here? Yeah, uh, for sure. she she brings the helmet to a Mandalorian initiation ceremony by a riverbank. And during the initiation ceremony, a youth named Ragnar, which I don't remember. I did watch this episode with subtitles on just to see if there was anything to pick up from. I didn't remember seeing his name, but his name is Ragnar. Um, he swears the creed before donning the helmet. 
Uh, but before we started recording, we noticed that when he's saying the creed and everything, yes. Uh, and before they can complete the ceremony, an alligator-like creature attacks the Mandalorian covert, and that happens right before young Ragnar can say that he'll never take his helmet never. off. Yep. I think that is such that a like it's not an Easter egg. But it's like one of those things that like you got to keep in the back of your mind if this kid pops up again, like is he going to look at Mando as like a pariah as like his Jesus because yeah. he took his helmet off like yeah. that's my guy like he did it so I can do it like I never yeah. swore to it I never like, technically owned it yeah and it's like how much of a like influence is that on him because he is so impressionable yeah. at a young age like how much does that influence him um we don't know his like relation if he has like any relation to any of the other mandalorian that were in that you know proceeding going on Scene. but they yeah. did seem like they were like panning to Paz Vizla a lot so i don't know if there's yeah. any connection there yeah especially with the blue helmet and everything as well um also very cool that his hair hung out of his helmet i was like oh that's different for yeah i thought that was neat yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the armor takes Ragnar to safety. I was like, "Oh, he looks like Clay Matthews." Uh, yeah, it was hair hanging just, out of the helmet, story. free flowing. Yeah, yeah. For a <laughs> yeah. So the armor takes Ragnar to safety while Paz Vizsla, uh leads the defense of the covert. Which, if anybody doesn't know, if you're new to the Mandalorian or kind of don't get into the weeds, uh, Paz Vizsla is uh, played by John Favreau, who is the director obviously of the mandalorian which is very fun um so the creature eats a few of the mandalorians r.i.p they just killed the club uh and the yeah. mandalorians attempt to plant explosives <laughs> <laughs> they try to plant explosives on the monster but are unable to pierce through its thick hide uh and they attempt to pull it down with grappling cables but are no match for the creature's vast size and strength Ragnar attempts to charge at the creature's maw, but Vizsla pushes him aside and fires blaster bolts at the creature. And then, of course, who comes to save the day? None other than the apostate. And how embarrassing is that for the Mandalorian covert that, you yes. know, you're your guy who you've kind of banished. It's like you're, you're no good. He's got to come save your ass. Uh, Din Djarin yeah. arrives in that N1 Starfighter, which is such a badass ship that, again, yes. go see how he got that in the Book of Boba Fett. Yes, sir. Uh, and he arrives with Grogu and fires torpedoes into the creature's side, killing the creature. I, I have to go back and just, like, look through all of, like, the creature kills that Mando has because As, there's yes. been some giant-ass monsters yes. that this man has just single-handedly yes. taken down over yes. the course of three seasons. Yes. You know what? Him it, it's and Grogu. Play. Yes. It's like how you have your pop sockets. Like, he literally should have just a, an entire catalog of just this this these are all of mine it's like when i've uh, taken each it's like when ohio state like how they give the stickers on their helmets yes yes <laughs> like yeah. mando's just gotta have the buckeye sticker for every like creature every kill. single one yeah <laughs> uh so after landing his ship uh mando visits the armorer in her cave and asks how he can redeem himself this was kind of like that rehashing of stuff we saw mm -hmm. uh in those few episodes of the book of boba fett the armorer tells uh, Mando that he's no longer a Mandalorian since he willingly removed his helmet. Mando reminds her that the Creed speaks about redemption. Uh, the armorer believes that Jarn cannot be redeemed since she believes that the mines and living waters were destroyed during the Great Purge of Mandalore, uh, which 
you want more context on that, go watch the Clone Wars animated series. They do a great job, like, portraying everything that happens with that and gives you a lot of backstory on, like, Mandalorian culture. It's a, it's, it, it's not necessary, per se, viewing, but it heightens your viewing experience for these shows. So I highly recommend it. Um, Mando shows him a green Mandalorian inscription, which he obtained from a Jawa who acquired it from someone who visited Mandalore. Who was that? That, that I don't remember who that is, if that has been shown to us or not. I don't truly remember, but that's an interesting thing to like hold on to. It's like, okay, a little, how the a hell did nugget. a Jawa get this? And yeah. who did he get it from? From, um, yes. So the armor responds that the inscription proves that Mandalore's entire surface has been crystallized by fusion rays. And Jaren believes that the traveler managed to reach the mines of Mandalore. And Mando seeks to redeem himself by traveling to Mandalore and proving that the mines and living waters do exist. The armor accepts his quest and says that this is the way. Uh, Grogu coos and watches with interest. And then uh, we're traveling back to Navarro at this point, and while traveling through hyperspace, Grogu watches the hyperspace tunnel with interest and observes several large shapes traveling alongside them, kind of look like whale creatures, which uh, Eric Voss from New Rockstars does a phenomenal breakdown of this episode. Highly recommend going and watching that on YouTube uh, on the New Rockstars channel. Um, those like whale-like creatures are from Star Wars Rebels, which... Um, if you remember from season two of the Mandalorian, when Ahsoka is battling uh, in like that, like ninja type situation, uh -huh. like that dojo type of thing. And she's like, where's Thrawn? That part comes from stuff from rebels where Thrawn and Ezra got like thrown into hyperspace and like outside of like the vortex and everything. And those whales uh -huh. are like the things that are supposed to be like carrying them to wherever they may be. Um, yeah all of the showrunners and stuff for the Mandalorian, whenever anybody asks about Thrawn and Ezra and all that, it's like, that'll come in Ahsoka. That'll come in Ahsoka. So it's like, <laughs> that's a little tease and a little like crumb yeah, for the yeah. Ahsoka series. Um, yeah. Which is very exciting. Cause we don't necessarily know when that's coming out. We just know that it's a confirmed thing. It's coming. Like yeah. shooting it and everything. Um, but it's nice to have those little like crumbs thrown in there throughout this yeah. to kind of get you prepped for what is to come. And that kind of just tells you that the Mandalorian is going to tie into the Ahsoka series. Yeah. We're probably going to see Mando and Grogu in that show. Mm -hmm. No, uh, for sure. So then Mando flies the N1 Starfighter to Navarro, where he's greeted by air traffic control. And he tells them that he has come to visit an old friend. And Mando walks through the streets of Navarro City while Grogu rides in his brand new repulsor lift cradle. That thing is shining. Uh, yeah, that boy got clean. that brand new like Cadillac style of yeah. repulsor craft. Uh, <laughs> and Mando notices that the streets are cleaner and safer. Droids and uh, beings of different species roam through the streets. And then we have those uh, Koaki and monkey lizards watching from the trees. Those things are terrifying. And if you yes, watch like, the original Star Wars movies, though they're in those as well. And those stop motion puppets of those are even more like nightmare fuel esque. Um, so seeing those again and then being in trees nonetheless was like it yeah. sends shivers down my spine. I was like, shivers. Ugh. yeah, yeah. Uh, no, when I first no good. No, when when I first seen the scene, I was like, man, I was like, 
these guys got their stimulus checks. I was like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> 401k I mean, just hit. Yeah, just hit tax season, man. I was like, geez, everybody's clean. And I liked the way, like, them was like, everything looks completely different. And I remember he was like, well, we've cleaned up. You know, it's like, <laughs> you have. Yeah, <laughs> you have. You certainly have. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's the two past the statue of IG 11. Uh, Mando reminds Grogu of his old droid friend, and then Jaren greets Grief Karga, who has become Navarro's newest high magistrate. And inside his office, Karga tells Mando that Navarro has become an official trade spur of the Hydean Way, and Karga tells him that Navarro has been undergoing a construction boom due to the mining in the system's asteroid field. And Grief Karga offers Mando and Grogu a parcel of land uh, to settle in the outskirts of the city, and it's just like. Why don't you just, just hang up this bounty hunting stuff and, and call it a day? You know, yeah. just retire, yeah. take off that take off that helmet again, and the just helmet. relax by the hot springs. And yeah, just relax. Take up your ten acres of land. And just, <laughs> yeah, kick your feet up. You know, get a nice yeah. cold drink. Um, yeah. <laughs> so then Mando replies that he's not ready to settle down since his quest is not over and he has become an apostate. Karga tries to reassure Mando uh, he will fit in as landed aristocracy. And a protocol droid informs Karga that several pirates led by uh, Nikdo Vane, great name, great villain space pirate name, uh, yes, have arrived in the town courtyard. And Vane invites Karga for a drink, but Karga tells them that the pub has now become a school run by protocol by a protocol droid teacher. Shout out to Dylan, because in Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 2, he predicted that they were going to go to a school, and nonetheless, they went to a school. So whenever Mandalorian brings up a school, it's just very funny. Um, yeah. Plus, it's like, cut me a break. You want to drink at a school? There's kids on the premises. <laughs> get, get a grip. Yeah. Uh, so, however, Vane insists on drinking at the school due to its history as a bar, and Karga refuses to back down, prompting Vane to remind Karga that he paid them for murder and mayhem inside the former bar and accuses Karga of being soft. Uh, Karga challenges Vane to a gunfight, and before Vane can reach for his holster, Karga shoots the blaster out of his hand, and Karga tells That's Vane it. to inform Captain Gorian Shard that Navarro is no longer friendly to pirates. He warns Vane to leave, and when Vane's fellow pirates reach for their weapons, Mando shoots them down, and Karga warns Vane to leave the pirate, and the pirates flee. Uh, and when Mando questions his decision to spare Vane, Karga says that Vane will take home the message that Navarro is a respectable place now. Now, the thing, too, that I was thinking about as I was watching this episode is, like, you know, Grief Karga is very much like a man of the people, and if you're trying to keep things even keel... Why is he all dressed up the way that he is? It makes yeah, you like think, like, where's where's all this money coming from? True, yeah, like something's yeah. a little fishy. Yeah, yeah, he's taking he's taking handouts from someone. Yeah, but who? And it's it's like who he was, could it he be? He was very, yeah, <laughs> he was very high class the way he looked, and he he, he looked, looked like, like he was getting ready to go to the Met Gala. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Facts. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind too. I think you know it might be an over speculation, but yeah. something tells me a little something's a little fishy up going on on Navarro. Yeah. yeah. Um. So while service droids uh, remove the fallen pirates, Karga tells Mando that he needs a new marshal. He explains that Caradoon, which I was very surprised that they name dropped Caradoon 
because that is obviously yeah. Gina Carano's character who has not been in the show since season one due to all of her off uh, off show and online happenings. Um, yeah, that was very surprising that they like name dropped the character. <laughs> in my opinion, yeah, um, and they and they gave her a promotion. Yeah. Who's kind of, you know, in charge of Moff Gideon getting off play. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she was recruited by the New Republic Special Forces after she captured Moff Gideon, who was sent to a New Republic War Tribunal. And Mando is reluctant to become Karga's new marshal and suggests asking the New Republic to send one. And Karga responds that he is unwilling to bow down to another far off bureaucracy. I just butchered that word because yeah, I can't read. Uh <laughs> Karga <laughs> dreams of making Navarro the first truly independent trade anchor in the sector, and Mando declines the offer since he has a pressing matter to attend to. So I got and business to do. Hey, I'm a biz I'm a man of business. I'm an international yeah. businessman. Uh, so Grief Karga asks what services he can provide, and Mando requests that he get back the late great IG eleven since he needs a droid that he can trust to help him explore Mandalore. And Grief Karga responds that the statue is made out of a few parts of IG-11 that they salvaged following his self-destruction and that didn't get tarnished away in the, the lava ocean. Uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, Mando, you were there. You saw all that yeah. happen. Like, yeah, you watched. It doesn't exist yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Karga offers Mando other droids, but Jaren convinces Karga to let him try to rebuild IG-11. And in a workshop... Mando connects uh, Karga's mechanical body to power and manages to revive the droid. However, Mando manages to restore IG-11's memories to the time when he wanted to terminate Grogu. Yeah. Full-blown Terminator mode. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God. Uh, the legless, I, and that was the creepier part. It was just, like, torso up, so it was, like, no legs yeah. crawling around. Yeah. Like, his head spins like an owl. I was like, this is terrifying. Like an owl. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, the legless IG-11 lunges at Mando and Grogu. Uh, Jaren grabs Gro Grogu and passes him to Karga before shooting at IG-11, and a bust of Karga falls on IG-11's head. Later, uh, Karga invites Jaren to bring the deactivated IG-11 to several Anzellan droidsmiths, whom he describes as some of the best in the galaxy. And those Anzellan droidsmiths are uh, the species known as, uh, you know, Babu Frick from the uh, yeah. sequel Star Wars movies. And uh, Babu Frick is one of the funniest fucking characters in all of television, all of movies. The way he just hits a hey, hey! like he is just hey. like an Italian mechanic and it's great. <laughs> um, so I'm very excited. And Babu Frick is expected to make an appearance in this season, too, which is very exciting. Um, yeah. So, however, the Anzellans are unable to repair IG-11's memory circuit due to its rarity, and they recommend buying a new droid. It's like, just buy a new one. You just get a yeah, new one. But he doesn't want a new one. He wants he wants that one. Just buy a new <laughs> droid. What do you mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So M Mando offers to help the Anzellans find a new part, which they accept, and Grogu hugs one of the diminutive Anzellan mechanics, promoting the Anzellan, and Jaren to tell him not to squeeze him too hard. He's not a toy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mando he said, and Grogu... I may be small, but I'm not, not a teddy bear. <laughs> <laughs> they prepare to leave on their N1 Starfighter to find a memory circuit for IG-11. And Grief Karga wishes them safe travels. Uh, while traveling through, the, through space above Navarro, 
uh, Mando and Grogu uh, find out that there's more to being a Mandalorian than fighting. He adds that navigating is useful since no one uh, ever knows where one is heading next. And Mando shows Grogu a hyperspace map and tells him that he can determine his range by looking at the fuel gauge and the ship's proximity alert rings, warning Mando about the presence of pirate starfighters. Uh, Vane seeks to avenge the deaths of four of his brothers and remind Mando that they serve the pirate king, King Gorian Shard. Uh, and Mando responds that Shard should stick to hijacking and ransoming before pulling the accelerator, <laughs> which was just such a badass move. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mando leads That's the what... pirate starfighters on a chase through the asteroid field as well. And just like, he was just like pretty much flipped them the double bird. It was like, Nyo. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, you my dust gun. <laughs> <laughs> One of the pirate ships crashes into an asteroid, but the others continue their chase and Mando gains the upper hand and runs circles around his pursuer, shooting several starfighters down. Awesome. Yes, such a cool scene. Like that's yeah, one of the cool parts awesome. about the Mandalorian is like they give you that like more than just like yeah. bare bones of like outer space like yeah combat yeah. almost, Fact. and it's just so yeah. cool. Yeah, um, no, that was that was great. So then, yeah. So one of the prize ships crashed into a mining platform on an asteroid, and despite their losses, Vane manages to drive Mando Starfighter towards Captain Shard's warship. Uh, pirate gunners aim their weapons at Mando's N1 starfighter and then Shard warns Mando that he has guns trained on him and Mando responds that he has no quarrel with him but Shard reminds Mando that he has just destroyed four of his starfighters. Shard uh, demands that Mando surrender in return for sparing his life and Mando tells Grogu to never trust a pirate before pushing the accelerator. Put that on a shirt. Never trust a pirate. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> pushing the accelerator causes the N1 starfighter to shoot past the bridge of Shard's warship, and Shard growls in rage. The way that uh, Shard looked, too, like just such a cool, like yeah. aesthetically pleasing yes. character. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, this guy's a scumbag, but he looks really cool. And I don't yeah. think, but, I don't know how you feel. I don't think that's the last we've seen of him. No, no. I it, think he'll he pop came up off again. Like, like somebody that could be like not reoccurring, but somebody who could come up in the right point of time where it's like, ah, oh, crap, we still have to deal with you. Like, you know, like I can definitely see him showing back up in an episode or two. Yeah, like he's like one of those ancillary villains that's not like massive to the overarching story, but he's going to show up to like derail shit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He may not be Plankton, but he's definitely going to be one of the ones that, you know, you look around and like, Oh, here he is and now we you know like not the main character but you have to get through him and then he's like kind of like a nuisance that's always yes. there yeah hundred <laughs> uh, yeah. percent so mando takes grogu to kalavala another planet with the mandalore within the mandalore system and mando lands their starfighter at a mandalorian castle which looks so fucking cool like yeah. give me that castle yeah. all yeah. day every day yeah. Yeah. um it looked straight out of, like, futuristic Game of Thrones. Yes. And I loved it. <laughs> uh, so upon disembarking, he and Grogu are greeted by a blue droid, and the two walk through the castle hallway into a throne room where they are greeted by a forlorn Bo-Katan Kreese who has abandoned her plans to retake Mandalore, uh, which kind of surprised me. Like, yeah. the way that the end of Season 2 of The Mandalorian ended, it felt like... Mando and Bo-Katan were like headed for 
full blown yeah. like fisticuffs when yeah. this season started. Yeah. But it's like, okay, she's kind of given up, but why? Yep. Yeah. Um. So she says, without the dark saber, her forces melted away. Uh, and Bo-Katan mentions that her fleet have reverted to being mercenaries. And Bo-Katan asks Mando if he has the dark saber. And when Mando confirms that this is the case which we all know if you watch the book of Boba Fett, yeah. Uh, yeah. she tells him to use it to lead the people. Mando asks Kreese uh, if she has given up her plan to retake Mandalore, and Kreese responds that Mando's Children of the Watch, shout out, great podcast, shout out to Children of the Watch, uh, go give them a listen for sure. Uh, the cult gave up on Mandalore before the Purge, and she asked Mando where he was during the Purge, and Kreese says... That the children of the Watch and other factions divided their people. She tells Mando to go home because there's nothing left. And Mando tells Kreese that he intends to return to Mandalore in order to bathe in the living waters and be forgiven for his transgressions. And Bo-Katan thinks that Mando is foolish and responds that there's nothing magical about the minds of Mandalore. She says they supplied Beskar uh, ore to their ancestors and the rest is superstition. When Kreese says that Mandalore has been poisoned, plundered, and polluted... Mando reminds her that she said that curse was a lie and tells her to make up her mind. Bo-Katan tells Mando that the mines are located <laughs> beneath the Civic Center in Sundari, and Mando vows to find out whether Mandalore has truly been poisoned, and then Bo-Katan hits Mando with a goodbye, Din Djarin. And I yes. was like, this is a little ominous. What do you mean by that? Yeah. <laughs> Literally, like, yeah. what do you mean yeah. goodbye? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like we said, they packed so much into like a 30, 32 minute episode of like just so many questions bouncing around in your heads. Um, I think the biggest takeaway from this is like Bo-Katan is not the type of character. If you've watched uh, Clone Wars, if you watch Rebels, if you watch Uh season two of The Mandalorian she's not the type that's just, like, going to keel over and, and quit. Yeah, it's like, oh, you can have it, yeah. And it's like, just because you don't have one thing, like, you're going to quit, I don't think so. Something's fishy yeah. about that. Yeah. And then, yeah. like we mentioned earlier, something's very fishy about Grief Karga being, like, very flamboyant and, like, out with all of this yes. jewelry and, like, new clothes and everything. Like, where's this money coming from? Yeah. How did they get a construction boom, like, in the city and everything? Yeah, um, everybody's balling. Yeah, like there's a lot yeah. that's like, what is going on? Um, yeah, and I like that. Like this episode leaves you with so many unanswered questions too. For it being episode one, it's like that's what you want. You don't want all your questions answered right away because then it's like, what's no. the point of watching everything else? Whole, so it's it's yeah, nice yeah. to have so many questions just brewing for another week to kind of wait and see what happens. Um, yeah, and I agree with you what you said at the top. Like this episode was so well written. Like it flowed very well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed this episode for it being a premiere. Yeah, and you know what's crazy? Like even though it was only thirty, you know, a little over thirty minutes, like it didn't feel rushed. Like I felt like I left with a clear, uh, clear understanding of what's happening. Um, but also being like, man, you know, like there's cliffhangers on every turn. Like they introduced so much stuff to us that like we have plenty to eat for the rest of the season. Like, and I just can't wait till it happens. Yeah, and I mean, but, like, uh, yeah. the amount of, like, just like like we said, like, there's different trails of crumbs for different, like, plot lines, yeah. too, which is very yeah. exciting. And, like, we all know how the Book of Boba Fett ended. Who's to yes. say, like, that whole infantry group of Boba Fett, yeah. of yeah. Fennec Shand, of 
Black Kersantin, like, do they pop up this season? Yeah, I was going to say. If, they, they if we go to yeah. some sort of war, like, you know, Mando's going to need people to pop out for All him, the just people, like he yep. popped out for those people. Yep. So it's like, yep. where do they kind true. of fit into this puzzle as well? That was something I was thinking about today as I was getting ready for the show. Like, where do those characters fit in? Because they are in this, yeah. you know, for that lack of true. a better term, Mandoverse. Like, yeah. they're, they're key players, as well as... Um, Timothy Oliphant's character, who initially we yeah. saw with the Boba Fett armor, he's still alive, and you know, yes, yes. How does yeah. that play? No, in? And I think everyone agrees too that at the end, when it seemed like Cad Bane was dead, that's such a massive character in character. the Clone Wars and Rebels, for that matter. Like, and he shows up again in the Bad Batch. Like, there's no way you bring in yeah. a character of that stature and like that and like, not use it. cult fandom and just kill yeah. him off. He's yeah, totally he still alive. Yeah. So where does he come into play? He's one of those people that pops up all the time, kind of like a time. pirate, but more elevated because he's a mongrel scumbag son of a bitch. Um, and the more that he pops up, it's like, okay, they're deterring from the, the task at hand, but now yeah. you got to deal with Cad Bane. Um, yep. So I'm wondering if he shows up again and silences all the doubters that, you know, he wasn't really dead. He is. Yes, exactly. No, you are so right about that, actually. <laughs> it's uh, just facts. It's, it's so much to take away, and it's all because we got, like, two and a half episodes of The Mandalorian in the Book of Boba Fett, which is, like, yeah. loved it. And it's like, okay, how does this all play into the grand yeah. How can we get this back in? This? Yeah. Like, how do you tie no. up those loose ends and everything? And, like, where does the, you know, overarching, like, ruling of all of the happenings of the Book of Boba Fett play yeah. into play the into Mandalorian, Mandalorian now? And you um, make a very valid point. Because uh, you said that, like, uh, Mando always shows up for everybody. You know, mm -hmm. like, whether, you know, whether it's somebody that's, you know, light years away or whatever, he shows up no matter what. Even when his people that his own people who turn him away and you know nobody wanted him there, what what happens? They're literally being eaten, and Mando shows up and takes care of them. So like when Mando needs them, you know, when are those guys going to show up, and how do they show up? You know what what takes place? And you're right that that actually is a really good point. Yeah, and this episode was directed by Rick Famuyiwa. Uh, who will also be directing the penultimate episode, so episode seven and the finale. So I think that's hmm. that's always something I that's look at. Is like yeah. who does the the premiere, and then is it the same person for the ending? For the I ending. like that that is the case. Um, I can already tell everybody episode six is going to be a big Bo Katan episode uh, because it's directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, who I think most Mandalorian fans agree. Bryce Dallas Howard has directed some of, if not the best episodes of The Mandalorian, and she directed episode three of season two when Bo-Katan made her first appearance in live action. So mm -hmm. I feel like that's going to be a heavy Bo-Katan influenced episode, which is going to be fun. And this is very fun. Um, so we have the directors for every episode now. So next week's episode will be directed by Rachel Morrison. Um pulling up what she is known for here lee isaac chung is directing uh episode three i'll pull up what he has worked on too because i believe those two are brand new directors to the mandalorian as a whole uh episode four is directed by carl weathers 
uh, also known Grief Karga. Um, and that episode, very interesting, written by John Favreau and Dave Filoni. That's a huge Yo. one for everybody at home who may not know who Dave Filoni is. Essential equivalent, he is the Kevin Feige of the Star Wars universe right now. <laughs> Everything you're seeing happening. So Dave Filoni worked on the Clone Wars and Rebels, and like those are like his babies. Like anything that has yeah. those types of influences, he's part of it. So him being part of episode four, something from either Rebels or Clone Wars is going to tie into that episode, which is super exciting. Um Peter Ramsey is directing episode five. He is uh, known for uh, Rise of the Guardians from 2012 um, from DreamWorks. That's one of the projects he's worked on. Like I mentioned, episode six is Bryce Dallas Howard. And then seven and eight yes. are Rick Fem uh, Yua. But episode seven, also written by John Favreau and Dave Filoni. So episode seven's also going to have also gonna be, some banger yep. aspects to it involving yeah, the animated facts. series. Um, Rachel Morrison, uh, for some of the projects that she has worked on, uh, just to give everybody a, uh, a background here, her filmography includes, uh, 2017's Mudbound. Uh, she also worked on the original Black Panther with Ryan Coogler. So that's exciting. Kind of has that action yes. background. Uh, she worked on Cake in 2014, Dope in okay. 2015 with Rick Famuyiwa. Solid. Um, yeah. She's got a she's got a nice little lineup of, of filmography. Um, she's also worked side by side on a lot of things with Famuyiwa, so they have a a pretty tight niche um, relationship there. She's also directed an episode of The Morning Show on Apple TV um, and oh, two I episodes of American Crime Story. Um, so maybe there's going to be some crime, some pillaging and stuff yeah. involved in this yeah. next episode that she's working on. Um, so she's got a, a nice little loaded filmography there. Lee Isaac Chung to take a look at his filmography. Um, he is working on Twisters that comes out in 2024. He worked on Minari in 2020 um, and a whole bunch of, I believe, Correct me if I'm wrong in the comments. I apologize if I'm not sounding correct here, but I believe most of the films he's worked on are foreign films, which is exciting. Like that aspect, bringing yeah. that into the Mandalorian yeah. is very, very cool. Um, he's been in a bunch of like the film festivals and nominated in those. So that's exciting for that aspect of what's going to be new in the Mandalorian. Uh, Peter Ramsey, uh, this will get you very excited. So, like I mentioned, he he directed DreamWorks uh, Rise of the Guardians in 2012. Uh, and he was the co-director of Sony Picture Animation's 2018 Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, okay. Yes, that does get me extremely excited. Uh, excited. <laughs> he is also going to be the director of Ahsoka. So maybe that oh. episode that he's working on, yeah, yeah, Ahsoka's going to come through. Like, yeah, yeah. So that's very, oh, nice. very exciting. To uh, he was also a storyboard artist on 1989's A Nightmare on Elm Street Five, The Dream Child, uh, 1990's Predator Two, uh, 1995's Mortal Kombat, 1996's Eye for Jeez. an Eye. Independence Day in 1996, 1997 Men in Black, 1998 Godzilla, 
He worked on Fight Club as a storyboard artist. Um, (laughs) Castaway in 2000. 2000's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Um, Panic Room in 2002. uh, Spartan in 2004. Shark Tale in 2004. uh, Shrek the Third in 2007. The Penguins of Madagascar. Um, (laughs) He also worked on 2018's A Wrinkle in Time. And 2016 Sausage Party. So he's got so <laughs> oh, many bangers. Yeah, so many yeah. bangers on his list. He was also an his illustrator for stacked. Batman Forever in 1995. So, like, he's worked on a number yeah. of things. Lots of horror. Goes, lots of, like, yeah. just, like, mischievousness. So that's going to be yeah. an interesting episode to keep an eye on for sure. And that will be episode five. So kind of like that mid-season point and kind of like that turning into the climax, which will be very fun. Um, I'm excited for just like the outlook of this season too and where it's more than likely going to take us and like how it's going to effectively just like drive the Mandalorian as a product forward in the Star Wars universe. For sure. For sure. No. So Keith, as we always do, we give a, a grading for uh, every episode, every show. Uh, we'll be getting Keith's scores as a whole. If he's not on the episode since this is episode one, we got to include you in every single episode for your scores. I'm down to get with that it. I'm proper down with scoring. Um, so, Keith, your score for episode one of season three, technically chapter 17 of The Mandalorian, The Apostate. I am going to go with. <sighs> Now I know we don't give regular numbers, so right. I'm gonna don't go give rookie with a, scores around these points. No, no, no. I'm gonna go with a seven point eight. Now is that lower? Is that is that right there? I think it's close to me. It's like in that range. Uh, I'm yeah. gonna give it. A, I'm gonna give it an eight point three. Kind of giving okay. it on like that school rating scale. I, I thought it was a solid B minus <laughs> episode for like an opening premiere type of yeah, episode laid yeah. the groundwork did what it was supposed to do uh and i did watch a non-spoiler like instant reaction because apparently they did a uh like a theater preview yeah, yeah, premiere so of yeah. the mandalorian so a lot of like the big content creators big you know people who cover yeah. this kind of stuff on the internet were invited um they said episode one and episode two paired together is like everything you could ever want from the Mandalorian. So that's also very exciting to look forward to next week. Um, knowing that this episode is kind of like a tandem episode almost. Um, so that's exciting. So our, yeah, like watch them together and see how they pair. Uh, but our scores together, 8.37.8 added together, divided by two, it's 8.05, which rounds up in our book to 8.1 right in it it's a solid start for the mandalorian uh we have been on banger after banger after banger of shows it's going to continue on this episode here so i'm going to kick it over to our poker face episode four breakdown with myself and christian so don't go anywhere What is up, everybody? Welcome into our Poker Face segment of this episode of Streamer Season. It's brought to you by our awesome partners over at Dubby Energy. Dubby's going to war on big energy, and they've been keeping us energized throughout this probably last like two months now. They've been on board with us, which is awesome. 
they are zero calories, zero sugar, zero maltodextrin fillers, no artificial colors, and they've got that patented neuro factor in their ingredients, which has been clinically tested to improve brain performance and cognitiveness by 143%. You guys can support us. You can support Dubby going to war on big energy by going to W.GG and use code underground for 10% off any and all orders. GG. And, uh, GG, haters. Um, I've been really on a kick with the beach and peach flavor, and I also have the uh, Dragonade, which is dragon fruit and strawberry lemonade. Right now, a lot of their flavors are on pre-sale. Pre-orders, uh, if you pre-order right now, you'll be first in line to receive your order when it's back in stock. Um so go to w.gg, load up, and use code UNDERGROUND for 10% off any order. Christian Poker Phase Episode 4, Rest in Metal. Um, it's the fourth episode. Um, Christine Boylan wrote this episode, and uh, you were correct. The less than an hour runtime caught up to me. 47-minute uh, runtime on this episode. I like this one a lot. Um, super fun. So as I'm a big band person, as is you are. As someone who is uh, up to date on Poker Face, and you're the one who's playing catch up, uh, you're gonna love this past week's episode because it's even though it wasn't written by Ryan Johnson, uh, it kind of feels like an allegory for uh, him and Star Wars. Interesting. <laughs> and and uh, and do you know what Mad God is? No. So it's this movie on Shutter, which is this horror streaming thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Been trying to get them to sponsor us. It's a stop motion movie. Stop okay. motion, and and it's like stop motion horror. And. A character is creating a is creating something that feels very heavily inspired by Mad God. Interesting. So, so it's a very interesting episode where it's like we we have we have Phil Tippett and we have Kathleen Kennedy pseudo represented in this episode. But back to Rest in Metal. Yeah, Rest in Metal. Um... Christian, do you want to hit the uh, the spoiler warning sound effect? Ladies and gentlemen, this is a spoiler warning. This is your time to press pause, go to Peacock, watch the episode in question, then come back and listen to us attempt to talk like uh, listen to us attempt to talk like Charlie King, except we haven't smoked fifteen packs a day for. <laughs> Five years. Uh, so now an employee at Big Box Hardware Store, Ruby Ruin, uh, vocalist of the early 2000s one-hit wonder heavy metal band Doxology with three X's. That's how you know it's heavy metal. Um, recruits Gavin, played by Nicholas Cirillo, uh, as a temporary drummer for a summer tour. She, guitarist Al, uh, played by John Darnielle, and bassist Eski, played by G.K. Ume, uh, attempt to write a song recapturing the success of their hit song, Staplehead. Uh, 
when I heard the name of the song, I was like, what the hell is going on here? It's so metal. It's so metal. <laughs> it's so metal. Uh, but they are constantly frustrated by Gavin's incessant drumming and distractible personality. During a performance, Gavin is slapped by Ruby for stealing her scream note, and Ruby apologizes later at the hotel. And Gavin then performs a song as he has drafted called Sucker Punch uh, to the band members, stunned by the song's hit quality uh, and embittered that the royalties from Staplehead go to their previous drummer. Uh, the band conspires to steal the song from him, firing their roadie, Deuteronomy, played by Chuck Cooper, and rigging Gavin's amplifier to electrocute him during the climactic scream of Staplehead. They then rewrite and sign the lyrics and burn uh, Gavin's original lyric sheet. A few days prior, Ruby hires Charlie, uh, our good pal Natasha Leone, uh, as the band's merch seller slash roadie. Uh, she begins to bond with Gavin, noticing that he never wears shoes. He lets them dogs out. No leash. Um, <laughs> he's got that dog in him. Um, has a camera pointed at his kick drum and writes lyrics spontaneously based on his surroundings. After the stapler incident, she scolds Ruby for slapping Gavin, prompting her to apologize, and the next day she witnesses Gavin's death on stage after taking a Polaroid of the climactic moment. Charlie picks up on Ruby's lie when she says that the bond, quote, got lucky, uh, or I'm sorry, the band got lucky to uh, the coroner who rules Gavin's death as an equipment malfunction. Uh, while the band records Gavin's song the next day at a studio in Kenosha, Wisconsin, Charlie meets a woman, Emily Yoshida, uh, portrays this person who hosts a true crime podcast named Murder Girl. We love when the podcasts show up on the screen. Unfortunately, streamer season was not listed there. Ryan Johnson, what gives? Uh, come on, man. <laughs> come on. We, we're talking about your show. We talked about your movie. Get us, get us on the next episode. Uh, the band then arrives in Milwaukee where they will open for a band named Krampus. Immediately which, just think of the Christmas movie. Which, let's be, be for you on that. Can, can we talk about the whole, the, uh, the whole Krampus internet bit? Yes, let's do it. Would, would, would you run or would you punch it like Charlie? Ooh. Hmm. That's a good question. I think I punch in that I, I, instance. Like, if I'm putting myself in in those shoes, I think I punch. When when it what when it comes to specifically the situation Charlie was in, I'd probably punch or kick just out of in, in instinct but but if it was like jumping out of a bush I'm like <laughs> peace out motherfucker later um, so while cleaning her car Charlie realizes that the lyrics to Sucker Punch correspond to advertising slogans on items in Gavin's pockets and when questioned by Charlie Ruby admits that Gavin wrote the song but insists that she needs a new hit in her career questioning Deuteronomy Charlie learns that modern amps usually have three prongs as a safety measure. Finding Gavin's amp in the trailer, she notices it. Uh, notices that it has three prongs, and an older, unsafe model was used on stage when Gavin was murdered. Charlie overhears Al practicing a new song titled "You Can't Unmurder Someone." Rolls right off the tongue. Uh, she voices her suspicions of Al to Ruby, who dismisses it. 
And finally, Charlie uses Gavin's footwork camera to confirm that the band wore thick-soled Doc Martens to, uh, during the performance to avoid electrocution. And she confronts the band about killing Gavin, but Ruby fires her. Charlie learns that a video of her punching Krampus's lead singer has gone viral. Cliff, played by Benjamin Bratt, suddenly appears and chases her. She escapes into the concert and succeeds in escaping. And a sucker punch leads to renewed interest in doxology. The members prepare to sign a recording contract. However, a recording executive reveals that the rhythm track to Sucker Punch, which the band failed to modify from Gavin's original draft, is stolen from the theme song for the sitcom Benson, resulting in a severe copyright infringement. Murder Girl, tipped off by Charlie, bases her next episode on Doxology's crimes. I always I always get giddy when I see podcasts in a show, because it's like, look at us. We, we like, finally made it to the big screen. Probably the, the, the thing that made me kind of happy the most was that we we get the whole internet bit tease earlier and how uh, and how viral the and how viral the Krampus thing goes it then happens to Charlie and you immediately go hmm I wonder if it makes its way to Benjamin Bratt <laughs> yeah I like how like last week it kind of took a, a break from the the underlying like episodic plot that's you know been laid out since episode one and then it comes right back this week and it's like hey how you doing um, I really liked this episode. I thought it was really well put together. Um, I love the, the band and music aspect of it. It was a different, you know, once again, another solid, like, murder mystery of the week uh, in a different light that you wouldn't expect. And we got more uh, of that underlying, you know, plot that is going to continue. And I thought uh, I thought this episode was really, really good. Yeah, I I had a lot of fun with it. Like it's the 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 floor on all these episodes is so high. It's so high, yeah. and that's and that's something you can't say for that many shows today. For for something that floor this high. Um, according to uh, the AV Club, Solani Gajar, uh, Rest in Metal received extremely positive reviews from critics. Uh, and Gajar gave the episode an A-minus grade and wrote, How often can Charlie find herself in a situation where a stranger she meets ends up six feet into the ground? But it's still early into the show, so I'm not complaining. The Columbo-esque gimmick is paying off richly. I'm thrilled there are six more episodes of Charlie finding herself in a mess she has to dig herself out of. I think that plays into our, our mindset on not only this episode, but the show from what we've reviewed so far, and I'm sure what you've seen, you know, as a whole from, from Poker Face uh, to a T. Yeah. Like, it's... It, it, uh, as uh, as I said on the last part, just Murder Mystery of the Week done well is, is, a, very, is a very good show, but what the show does well, uh, I'll say this every week, has a slowly, the slow linear storyline just burning underneath everything, and this is kind of the last episode for a little bit where where that linear nature truly ha truly has a effect because 
as someone who just watched episode eight or nine, I don't remember at this point. Benjamin Bratt's kind of MIA. So it'll be interesting to see upon his return how things go. Yeah, I'm excited to you know keep diving into this week by week and seeing where uh, things go. But Christian, your score uh, for Poker Face episode four. 8.3. Yeah, I'm, I'm close to that ballpark. Um, I think I'm going to give it an 8.6. Um, so for the people at home with the quick math, uh, intact 8.6 plus 8.3 is a solid 16.9, almost nice. Uh, that's a one nice, um, which rounds up to from 8.45 to an 8.5. Eight and a half. Show continues to impress. We've been on a roll with the solid shows um, so far in 2023. So excited to see what our list looks like. There's way more to come, Uh, especially in the month of March. We're going to feel like John Rothstein uh, by the time March is over because this is March for us. Um, But hopefully uh, we'll be back uh, all together in a a try box next week. Uh, breaking all things down for you guys. Uh, but we're going to kick it back to myself and Dylan to dive into streaming platform multiverse news and notes. Christian, uh, ironic that we uh, reviewed episode four and you're going to a concert. You know? Hey, who, who, who's, who are we seeing? Uh, do you know who first uh, who first 211 is? First two, it sounds familiar. So they are this group on YouTube who do a bunch of covers and stuff. First two eleven. Yes, they mainly do rock covers and stuff. It's really fun. Oh, sweet! They're almost kind of local. They're from Erie, Pennsylvania. Yeah, you know they're 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 on a little mini tour. So you know. nice. What yeah. uh, what venue? Uh, warehouse on Watts. Okay. So by the med. That'll be sweet. Yeah. So there it is. Poker Face Episode 4. Sit tight and we'll be back with the streaming platform Multiverse News and Notes real quick. What's up, everybody? I know uh, this week's episode was kind of pieced together. We had a lot of uh, guest hosts, Christian and I, recording separately. Uh, apologies for kind of a piece together thing, but we made it work. Uh, but no news and notes segment this week, just a lot going on. And, you know, with, with the mishmash of, of piecing this episode together, it kind of didn't cross our minds, uh, to get that fully recorded, but that segment will be back next week. Uh, but until then, make sure you guys are following us at streamer S Z N on Twitter and Instagram and letterboxd follow me on Twitter at kbizzl311 follow christian at the whiz underscore phi subscribe to the podcast feed apple podcast spotify or wherever you get your podcasts leave a five-star rating and review it does go a long way for helping uh the show continue to grow helps more people find this bad boy and helps us take streamer season to that next level here in 2023 and beyond and of course subscribe to the underground sports philadelphia youtube channel where as i'm recording this right now We have 401 subscribers on the YouTube channel, 99 away from 500. Let's keep that thing rolling. Let's get more people subscribed to the show on YouTube, youtube.com slash at underground sports, Philadelphia. 
Uh, and this has been another edition of Streamer Season, the exclusive streaming platform, TV and movie podcast on the Underground Sports Philadelphia Podcast Network. Hopefully everything is back to normal next week and we're back, you know, systems, all systems go, status quo, show back to normal. Uh, but until then, I'm your boy KB. For Christian, for Russ, and for Keith, big thank you to those guys for hopping on this week to fill in for Dylan. Uh, but until next week, I am getting the heck up out of here because this is the way. Yeah.